This is Team Business Podcast. Team Business uncovers the everyday entrepreneurs why, how, and the road to now. With hosts Mike Fusco and Ray Ramirez. Join us to learn how game-changing founders act on their vision and build a team for success. And now, here are your hosts, Mike and Ray. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on another segment of the Team Business Podcast. Uh, Unfortunately, Ray is out today. He's not feeling well, so he's home resting. But I'm very grateful to be joined by Johan Eid. Johan, how are you, man? Good, Mike. Doing well. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. And Johan is, I believe right now you're in Northern California, right? Up in the wine country or are you in I Central? was. Yeah, that's where I grew up. And then uh, just about a month ago, I moved down here to Los Osos, California. So down on the Central Coast as we have a new location starting in San Luis Obispo. Yes, so. yes, yes. Yes. We're going to talk about all that good stuff and uh, the growth of uh, Johan's company, Region, which is just a, a really cool concept. Uh, and I think it's funny cause you said this in one of your questions that we have teed up for later on in the, in the conversation, but you mentioned, uh, disruption. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in my day to day work being in the insurance business and technology and finance, the financial industry, you know, we hear a lot about innovation and disruption, uh, you know, insure tech and FinTech and yeah. all the technology that's taken over. I don't know that you hear about it a lot like from my standpoint or maybe from the audience in the hospitality industry. So I find that to be really, 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 uh, I mean, I'm excited to hear about what you have to say about that, man. And, um, you know, kind of how that all plays out. But before we get started, uh, if you could, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe about your background, how you got to where you're at today and you know, the, the businesses that you have. Yeah, for sure. Um, first want to say thanks for having me on too. Um, say hi to Ray for me as well. Um, yeah, I sure will, man. But yeah, my background is um, grew up in Northern California. Uh, I went to Cal Poly for mechanical and agricultural engineering. Um, so kind of a dual major there, more focused for me on the mechanical and manufacturing engineering side of things. That's what really invigorated me and um, made me curious to learn more. It kind of just helped my side projects out as I went through through college, um, ended up having a college project that turned into more than, you know, a senior project um, with my best friend Kai um, from from college. And what that did is it introduced us to patent law and patenting our product that we had developed, which <laughs> basically led me into patent law. Um, you know, I got into trying to do it myself, just kind of like I approach everything is like, can I do it myself first? Can I give it a hundred or ten percent? Do I need to outsource this first? Um, and that's how I got into patent law. Um, was really blessed to run into two patent attorneys at Wilson Sonsini, Goodrich and Rosati. They're WSGR and they're like one of the largest IP firms in San Francisco. And they kind of coached me through. They said, Hey, you know, you're a mechanical engineer. Um, you seem to enjoy this and know what you're doing. If you pass the bar, we'll give you a job. And oh, wow. so <laughs> what I did is I went through and, uh, I took the patent bar right after college. Um, so it's separate from the state bar. So basically what I 
can do as a patent agent, not a patent attorney um, is different, but I never really wanted to get into any litigation or represent anyone in court, which is not what I can do, but I get to be on the front end. So I get to meet a lot of cool startups um, and help them protect their ideas or maybe not depending on the situation. And just what we tried to do and in the process of that, I just began freelancing for law firms and eventually met up with Chris, my partner for my patent guys. and we said, well, why don't we do this ourselves rather than just taking overflow work from from law firms? We lived in the same hometown, so it really made sense. So we launched My Patent Guys, which is, again, trying to flip the big law perspective for IP. Um, so we try to help individuals or small companies protect their ideas at an affordable and honest price. So honestly, like 50% of our clients that came to us, we told them, you know, a patent's a sword. It's not a shield. And like, this is really what it's all going to cost. These are the years and years of timelines. Do you really want to do this? And I think 50% of people that come to us in my patent guys, we tell them to save their time and money sometimes, but just trying to give an right. honest opinion because we're not trying to do billable hours like a large law firm. Um, so right. moving on from my patent guys, um, my side, like passion was always making wine with my father, uh, in Sebastopol. And you know, growing up in Sonoma County, you get inundated with the wine industry. And I always loved the Barlow, which was this kind of um, open table, farm to table concept in my hometown. And it's a long story, but I wanted to put the law office there uh, and have some kind of other side wine bar business. And it just kept snowballing, um, got more and more excited about it and decided to launch it in uh, March of 2020 uh going into covid so didn't really plan out that part of it but you know we've made it through so far uh i don't think covid's over but we made it through so far and that's kind of the the, my history so from engineer to patent law and then now into growing region yeah man quite that's quite the uh the story it's it's crazy man like entrepreneurs I, i i speak to a lot of entrepreneurs especially on team business and it's funny because the path isn't always straight line you know <laughs> like when you because I, I can tell you're a guy that you you like to think outside the box you think a lot i'm sure you talk to people mm-hmm. with some crazy ideas all the or just all times of ideas when you yeah. in your patent work and mm-hmm. uh you're probably always thinking of different business you know oh yeah different. we've got some funny ones at the at the, <laughs> at the law firm before oh man i i mean i don't you probably can't talk about them too much but can you maybe give us like one of the two crazier ones you've ever heard? Um, yeah, I'd have to see what's published or not at this point and what's yeah. under power of attorney still. But, um, you know, some of them are uh, in the adult industry, the adult toy yeah. industry. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of inventors are uh, just we meet some awesome, super yeah. inspirational small businesses. And then also, you know, some folks that think that their idea is the best idea since since sliced bread. And that's a fine line to walk because it's not my position to tell them that their idea is or isn't going to be successful or isn't the right thing to do. It's just more can or can you not protect it and what's the wisest path forward. Uh, But yeah, some of those, it's funny how it was basically the sex toy industry and they were so, so secretive (laughs) about it. Like in, and uh, going through it and basically thinking it's the next big idea and making sure we have multiple NDAs in place and, and a power for turn. I was like, well, 
you know, just over very, very paranoid about it. And then when you actually get to see what it is in the consultation, you have to walk yourself back out of that and say, it's really not my realm of expertise. I think I have to, uh, like, you know, suggest some other patent attorneys to take that yeah. on. But, um, no, yeah, it's tricky sharing people's ideas, uh, and, you know, having a license and all that, but, um, no, it's, we definitely see some funny inventors, but, um, you know, it's really cool. It's something new all the time and yeah. Everyone's trying to get that next big one, huh? Yeah. And going back to kind of what you said about, you know, whatever it is, whatever direction you go in, I heard it best described once as it's almost like a, you know, when you, when you're bowling and you're bouncing off the rails, it's, it's almost this direct line, like a, like a bouncy ball or a zigzag going forward. And as long as you give everything a hundred percent over time, there's a trend line there in the direction you really want to go. And, you know, for, for me still really enjoy patent law, still have some great clients, but um, I'm not taking on a lot of new projects. And that's taught me a lot that I've carried over into, into region. Yeah. So tell us about region, man. And I mean, this is exciting stuff. And if you guys can see the background I put behind uh, Johan, that's from their website or it might be from your LinkedIn page, but it's, it's the wine country. And we know when yeah. we think about Northern California, we think about Sonoma and Napa counties and we think about wine. It's a huge industry yeah. there and it's great wine. And uh, tell us what makes region different. I mean, I know you guys opened in the Barlow and I've seen, I haven't been to the Barlow, but it's, it's in Sebastopol, right? The Barlow. Yep. Okay. So if you guys are up in the Northern California area, you got to check out the Barlow because this place looks awesome. But yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about region, man. Tell us what makes it different. And uh, I mean, and I, know, I know you have a second location coming. So tell us what makes it a successful uh, business. Yeah. Well, for us, I mean, again, coming from an engineering background, um, it started out with us wanting to have a law office in the Barlow. And right. going through there, you know, I grew up with some some very large wineries, having friends there um, at the Balettos, the Duttons, you know, growing up in Sonoma County, you, you get inundated whether you want to or not. And so I thought, OK, great, we'll have a tasting room in the front that'll offset my rent and then we can just have an office and I can go work around all these great bakeries and breweries. Yeah, <laughs> and just wouldn't this not a be bad like place to be. An, an inspirational <laughs> place to go to work. And in that <laughs> process, we ran across what's um, the Silicon Valley Bank or uh, does a industry report um, on basically the status of the wine industry every year. And anyone that's interested in wine, I would highly recommend reading that every year. And for me, it kind of tantalized the engineering side of my brain as far as statistically um, we looked at it and, you know, I looked at it. We had a big whiteboard in a, in a co-working space in Petaluma and just looking at tasting room visitation for the last eight years has dropped in Sonoma County but before COVID tourism was up and looking at these oxymorons from an outside perspective and, you know, being somewhat younger ourselves, looking at what is really the customer want. They want the best experience at the lowest possible price with the most amount of options. And, you know, when millennials do buy wine bottles, they tend to buy the highest price. So it's kind of that farm to table concept. How do you take that into farm to drink or something along those lines? Um, was the initial concept. And for us growing up there, every time we had family and friends come to visit, they wanted to know, Hey, what are the small guys? What's the, what's the hidden gem, the secret treasure winery that I can go check out. That is not the $5 million tasting room that attracts you with the free flight. Um, What's the secret, what's the small guy doing? What's the real craftsmanship 
of the wine country and where should I go taste? Everyone was always asking us that. And so for us reading those Silicon Valley bank reports, we put together that it's such a spread out industry. Small producers are so alienated from large producers. So for example, like a Gallo or a brands that right. are Constellation, they have that experience. They have the $5 million tasting room that attracts the, the tourists and with the free flights. But what they're missing a little bit is the authenticity there. And if you're a small producer that makes, you know, we have Young Hagen's, our smallest wine producer. He makes 300 cases a year. Wow. I mean, that's like breakage. For that's like, that's like him doing it himself, you know? Yeah. And he makes wine for five other wine, four or five other wineries, um, including Mendingwall, Baidan Wines as part of a Grand Cru in Windsor. And uh, this is his side project where he selects the vineyards and does it himself. Um, his name's Tim with Young Hagen Wines. And that's just such a cool story for us, the, the stories that we've fell in love with. And for him, for any small producer, you don't have, you know, let's say 500000 to throw down on your own tasting room, recoup right. that back over five years. And then you're still competing with, I don't know exactly. I used to know how many exact tasting rooms there were in Sonoma County, but you're still competing with the, you know, as you know, are you going to beat Kendall Jackson's tasting room experience? And, you know, so basically what we try to do is it's almost a, a co-working space or a hub for wine country for small producers, where whether you're visiting or you're a local, how do we make wine approachable? You can just come get a glass of wine. No one's going to sell you a wine club. Come on in and, and check out who is in our featured winery of the week. So that's how we're structured. We've got 25 winery partners. They all have a week in the winter and one week in the summer. Um, essentially, you never know. So it's rotating every week. It's sort of like a pop-up style business model um, where from a customer perspective, it's always you never know who's going to be featured that week. On the other side of the space, basically, you get set up with um, an open tab on your card and you can go through. We always have about 60 different local wines that you can try a taste or a glass of through the wine pouring machines. So okay. that kind of puts the exploration or the discovery back onto the consumer um, yep. and lets them explore at their own pace. You know, some people come in as wine connoisseurs and they tell me about the wine. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that, that sort yeah. of customer and the other side is, um, you know, Hey, I like reds. Let's start there. And it's great because people are in there working on their laptops, but then people are also in there meeting with the winemakers, um, and discussing it because it really is their tasting room and we just run the tasting room for them. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it approachable and really give a platform to elevate these small producers in, you know, the hub of, the hub of the Barlow, which is just such a travel destination in Sonoma County, which gives them the exposure, the branding that they never would have had possible and the foot traffic they never would have had possible without us. And that's kind of without going into all the business model of how we work with the wineries, um, yeah. the premise of the premise of region. That's really cool, man. And I'm sure you're, I mean, the concept is awesome for the consumer too, because they don't have to go to all these different places and figure out their like, especially if you're visiting for just a couple of days. I mean, it's, it's impossible to get to all the different wineries, right? So yeah, they can I think the Sonoma County average is one and a half wineries a day, which I don't know how you get to a half a winery, but um, right. let's just say, let's just say two. Um, right. And, you know, it looks, if you really look at the SVB reports along as well, people are coming, 
they're staying in an Airbnb and they already have their mind made up, you know, where they're going to go. Yep. Where for us is we've got some really cool experiences where if you come on, on like a Friday, taste 25 wineries in one spot, find what yep. you like. We'll set up that tour for you over oh, the weekend. See. Um, Brilliant. so it's, we're sort of like a hub where you can go through and, you know, hit all these wineries at once and do it safely. You know, um, you can really go down and taste 12 different Pinots side by side from all different appellations of Sonoma County in one spot. So that's the kind of experience we're going for. Sorry, man. I keep looking over there. There's a crow trying to <laughs> keep hitting the window. Um, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. And, uh, yeah, sounds like a lot of fun too. Sounds like a place where you can you can have some fun, and uh, that's great. So I wanted to get to the next question, and uh, I'm sure this is something that you not only think about from your work in patents, but also you know your work in, in, with region. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that I think about all the time. You know, disruption in certain industries, but uh, disruption I think is just such a broad term. You know, it could be sure. used so widely in so many different ways. But like, what exactly does that is disruption? But if you don't mind me asking, like, in your sense, in your in your viewpoint, uh, what makes innovative startups disruptive? Um, well, I think it sort of stems from like two different. Well, there's a lot of different paths where someone could make a disruptive startup, but it I think it takes someone very inundated in the industry that's sick of working for someone else or sees a better way to do it and finally takes that step out and has the courage to do that and, and do it in a better way. Um, or I think what really makes a lot of, um, I wish I had more examples off the top of my head right now, but coming from a different industry. So for example, I'll personalize the question of like coming from engineering back into patent law and just looking at it analytically, objectively, what's the divide here? Um, kind of alleviates those preconceived notions that if you, you know, went to school for viticulture, worked in tasting rooms, you've, you've already been inundated with, this is how the wine industry works. And in your mind, it's going to be a lot harder to break out of that. So I would say coming from outside a different industry. And then the last point I would probably say is, you know, a data centered uh, startup is, always going to be the most disruptive in my opinion. Um, both of my startups, um, you know, the, that company coming out of college um, into licensing it. And then with region, we're really actually a marketing and data company um, more wow. than a forward facing hospitality company. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time and not to go back to what, you know, my daily business is, but, we see it in our industry. You know, I see a ton of people just that have been working in the industry for a long time. And even I've been there where you just, things just don't work well. And you're like, man, there's got to be a better, more efficient, more productive, data-driven, sensible way to do this where you're delivering a better product and a better experience, but you're also making the industry better. Uh, I got to ask you this question. Like, do you think disruption, uh, I know people, you start to talk about disruption and people get scared of it because they're like, oh, man, that's mm -hmm. not good for people. Like, I'm going to lose my job type of thing. Or, you know, technology's taking over the world. And wh where's my place in the industry? But do you think I look at it from a positive standpoint, like we're just making things better. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, at the end of the day, it's for the end user, right? It's for the person that 
the consumer, the customer, or whoever your the product's meant for or intended for. But what do you think of disruption? Like when you hear the word disruption in general, like do you think it's, it has a neg negative connotation or do you think it's a good thing or what do you think, man? Um, yeah, I think it can be seen as negative from folks that have a comfort in that industry or have, uh, like I said, a preconceived notion of this is how this should operate. Don't mess up what I good stuff I have going. Um, but I mean, it's also, it drives competition. It drives innovation. Um, and you know, each generation is going to see that same problem to be solved differently. So it's, it's inevitable. It's actually the, arguably the root of capitalism or the good side of capitalism. There's definitely a bad side, but the good side of it is if there's without disruption, you know, the consumers get a stagnant experience in whatever industry it is. So, uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it pushes everybody forward and, um, pushes innovation. So, I mean, oh, it's not true, man. I can't it, agree with you more. It's going to happen. It's going to happen either way. So you, either you're going to, you're going to be the one to do it or someone else is going to do it. You're going to have to, uh, get the firmware update or <laughs> it's, it's so true. You know, if it yeah. wasn't for it, right. Think about it. I mean, if it was not for competition and always forces making you better. And when I say you, I mean, just whatever business you're in or whatever company it is, you know, the outside forces of them trying to get better and doing things differently is what makes us all better. Right. You have to. Yeah. And you have to have that desire to do that. Yeah. I mean, um, and you know, unfortunately it's, there's some points in life where even I've been there. So you, you, you've got so much responsibility, whether it's, um, a family or kids or debt or whatever it is. And you get stuck not pursuing those dreams or those innovations or being disruptive, where if you could, um, sort of like, you know, who you had on your podcast, the first off Dylan, you know, starting yeah. a solar business, you know, he started that early where he got ahead of that being locked down to that responsibility and you know that's uncontrollable for everyone's life looks differently the cards you're dealt but um you know it's really if you don't pursue it you can get trapped and you'll that opportunity passes so true and um so let's talk about this so let's talk about going back to hospitality social experience mm -hmm. uh what in your in your viewpoint what what is today's consumer looking for in hospitality when you say hospitality again very broad there's a lot of different niches within the hospitality industry but and also social experience what are they looking for what why do they come out what what are they doing um you know i think i mentioned it once again i'll say it is like the best experience at the lowest possible price so you see all these emergent like uh seed lip Haas, um, athletic brewing being like a non-alcoholic beer, you know, how do we specifically in drinking in the alcohol industry, make that athletic or approachable or healthy. Um, everyone's watching what they put into their, into their bodies now, especially in yeah. the hospitality industry. So you see, you know, locally sourced grass fed beef, all these, all these directions in alcohol are not being capitalized on in our opinion. Um, and it's that best experience at the lowest possible price. And then they don't want to be told what they should do. I think, um, you should like this wine. Um, you should order the steak, whatever it is. Um, we've are at least my generation and the generation before me is so, um, 
we have so many options in front of us and so many things to draw our attention in different directions. If we have to work at it at all in a certain direction, um, that's a negative check mark on our box where we want to discover it on our own and feel like we're a part of it. We, we want to see that true authenticity to the brand and the hospitality, the social experience, but also, um, you know, if you don't give us a lot of options, we're going to move on to the next thing because we have such a short attention span. Yeah. It's so true, man. And it's just, uh, and, and it's, it's funny because you talk about generations and different, you know, behaviors or consumer consumer behaviors of generations. But like we talk about the millennial generation now as being a big focal point of, of business and how to capture that, that age group. Mm-hmm. But you see other, I'm starting to see like other older generations adapt really to, you know, what the, what the millennial generation wants. Like they're, <laughs> and I don't know that anyone really thought that, that could happen, but what mm-hmm. you talk about today, like, and it's funny because there's so much, like you said, you said this perfectly, you can't tell people what to like, mm-hmm. but they use social, what do you call that? Uh, like reviews and stuff online, like social, uh, when, yeah. you know, you know what I'm talking about? What do you call that? So, social, uh, like social, social media, but also like their review culture. Yeah. Of. The review uh, culture. Yeah. There's a word for it. I can't, it's not coming to my mind right now, but like they use that so heavily, but even like the older generations now, and I'm thinking about like people in my parents' generation, like the same for them too, man. It's like, that's the same. They're looking for the same stuff now also in social experience and hospitality and everything else. Yeah. It's almost like they've adapted to the new way, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, that's always going to happen. The younger, the older generations watching the younger generation and what, what they're doing. And, um, you know, it's Bob Dylan, the, the times they are a change in, um, sort yeah. of thing. But I think, you know, you bring up a good point with review culture is that, you know, our reviews, um, and for example, my parents review every Amazon product they get. I've never left an Amazon review my whole life. No, they um, review every one. Oh, wow. Not everyone, but a enough, lot of them. Yeah. You know, so um, going through and seeing that, it, yeah, it seems like different generations are, are more adapt to capitalize on those platforms that are available or make decisions based on them. Uh, yep. Whether they find out about your restaurant from someone's social media posts, the first thing they're going to do is, okay, you've got 4.5 stars over a thousand reviews. Okay. I'll go there. Exactly. Um, and that's social proof. A, that was what I was uh, social proof. Yeah. Yeah. And like social authenticity as a brand yeah. too, um, is a big thing that we're trying to stress in our branding and our naming trademarking, um, our new website build out that's happening. It's just, how do you really portray, the story of our wineries and that that really is the story of the region and the story we can't replicate in hospitality so you could build the best tasting room you want but if you don't have good for in our industry you know or another good food or good wine or a real authentic story there's nothing really there to back it up yep yeah good point man so uh i think we've you've kind of touched on this as we've gone along here but how does comparing your business to others in the same industry uh, hurt innovation and growth of the industry itself? So that's, I think that's something that we, to think about, but 
Uh, how does comparing your business to others in the same industry hurt innovation and growth of the industry itself? Well, it kind of ties back into what we got talking about, about disruption and is that viewed positively or negatively? Um, and also kind of stemming off your example of you've seen this happen where people are in that industry, get frustrated or figure out a better way to, you know, do something, whatever it is, maybe it's a administrative task better. They want to go write the software for it and improve mm -hmm. on it. Um, at some point to take the leap of faith and do that, you have to stop comparing yourself to other people and believe in what you're doing and just go for it. Um, yeah, I don't think, um, obviously if you're trying to do something innovative or disruptive in an industry, you've already acknowledged that there's something wrong or, you know, the industry is not operating the way that you, you think it can. So to go back and compare yourself to that, it's just going back and comparing to something that is inferior. Um, so, I mean, that's a, like a harsh word to use, but, um, I think, yeah, it takes, I think it's someone outside the industry coming into that industry more likely than not as well to really change it. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, awesome, man. Well, Johan, you're, you've been an awesome guest, uh, had some really good thoughts and I enjoyed our conversation. How can people, you know, looking to connect with you? Do you, do you, uh, accept your connection request through LinkedIn? Would you prefer that people email or call yeah, I'm pretty you? Yeah, I'm pretty active um, on LinkedIn. You can you can find me there. Um, otherwise, you can just email me at Johan at Drink Your Region. It's a really easy way to reach out and connect with us. Um, I see you've got it pulled up here. You know, drinkyourregion.com is our website. Um, it's the old version right now as we revamp um, and really launch e-commerce, but yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mike. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, if you, if you're in, if you're in the Northern California area or soon to be central coast, right. Cause you guys are going to be in San Luis Obispo soon. Yeah. Yeah. Opening a new spot. So, and I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of, I mean, that's also a, a region that, uh, has a lot of wineries and I'm sure they have a lot of craft makers and you're going to bring that, that to a, a central location. Yep. Yeah, yeah I was looking at downtown with only uh, winemakers from Edna, Slow, and uh, Paso Robles. So, um, cool. That's really cool. Really exciting stuff. If you're in Northern California and you want to try some unique wineries or wineries that you might not hear of every day, or you know ones that you can't get to because you you have a a short time frame, check out Region. Check out the Barlow. Uh, you can look it up online. I believe. Uh, I'm actually certain that on the drinkyourregion.com website, there's a picture of the Barlow, the location that you're at. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, you can kind of, it's almost like you can move around to different spots and there's different restaurants and eateries and breweries. And of course, region is there where you can get lots of good wine. And uh, yep. same thing soon to be in San Luis Obispo. So, Johan, thanks. We know you're a busy guy, man. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time and thank you for joining Team Business. Yeah. Thank you for having me on and all the help you've done for both region and, and the other businesses about, you know, our general policies and all the insurance help as well. Appreciate that. Oh yeah, man. It's my pleasure. It's been a pleasure to work with you. And, uh, anytime I can support a, a business like yours, man, we're, 
forward thinking and really well put together and well thought out. I mean, it's my pleasure. So thank you also. And to everyone watching uh, team business, uh, we will be back for another episode soon. We thank you guys for uh, supporting our podcast. And if you have any questions or if you need my help getting connected with Johan, uh, you know how to get in touch with me. You can email me at Mike at foagency.com or give me a call at 858-384-1507. Until next time, we'll see you soon.